although we have all those emotions during these kind of times. There's no doubt about it. But it just speaks to my soul that we have a God who cares so much about us, loves us so much that he watches over us and we need not be shaken. So I hope that ministered to you as much as it always does to me. This morning I'm going to begin a short series over the next several weeks on the concept of the supremacy of Christ. I think that during these days, one of the things we need to do, as we've talked about in earlier messages through this uh, COVID-19 crisis, is that so, so often we spend too much time looking at the circumstances, worrying about the circumstances. When will we get to go back to work? When will we be able to go back to church? We're, we're all concerned that we're locked in and shut down, or as, as I continue to jokingly say, we're all under house arrest, it seems like. So we look at those circumstances and we worry about that. But you know, the truth of the matter is that during this time, the thing that we need to be thinking about the most, the thing that we need to be watching the most, observing the most, is the fact that Christ is supreme over all. When we think about our Trinitarian faith, we think about the truth of the Scriptures, that our God is a great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as, as Psalm 91 says, He is reigning, or Psalm 93 rather, He is reigning over all that He has created. When we focus on that, and when we believe that with all our hearts, it really seems that the circumstances kind of at least lessen a bit in their call to fear and anxiety and depression and struggle. And so over these next few weeks, I want us to think about the supremacy of Christ. Paul does that uh, quite well in the book of Colossians. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning as we look at verses 9 through 14. This is, not, uh, this is kind of preparatory of where we're going because I want us to think about this morning what the, what the supremacy of Christ means to our prayer life. How will it affect our prayers if indeed Christ is supreme? Now, we will look at what Paul says about that in the rest of this chapter on his supremacy over all things. But let's start with where Paul starts. Now, in those first eight verses, the apostle is just kind of giving an introduction. He's talking about a group of people here that he has never met. This is not a church that he planted, but it's a church that through his ministry, through other people that he has shared the gospel with, they have gone there and they planted this church at Colossae. And, and these people are beginning to grow. And Paul even says there in, in these verses we're going to look at this morning, since the first day we heard of it, right at the very beginning of, of verse 9, since we first heard of what's going on there in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you. We, we know that God is doing a work. Uh, Epaphras has been there and he has ministered to you and he has come to me. And Epaphras has told me how you are growing in the Lord, how your numbers are growing, you're sharing the gospel throughout Colossae, and people are coming to faith in Christ. And Paul basically says to the church there, I want to encourage you as best I can. And the best way I can encourage you is to begin by praying for you. If you want to encourage Grace Baptist Church during these days of quarantine, the greatest thing you can do is pray for Grace Baptist Church. And don't let me pray for this building. I don't mean pray for the organization. I don't mean pray even necessarily for the finances. I mean pray for Grace Baptist Church, the people that make it up, and, and pray some specific things for them that we'll talk about that Paul mentions here. That's the greatest thing you can do for Grace Baptist Church uh, during these days when we're hindered from being able to be together. And we'll talk about how we can do that in just a little bit. Uh, during this time, 
I've had a lot of people ask me, Bill, can you recommend to me a good book on prayer? It seems like more and more during these days of crisis, people are thinking about praying. Uh, we're, we're praying more. I shared that with our prayer meeting the other night on Wednesday night on Zoom that, that you know, I found myself, and this may be to my shame as a pastor, but I find myself praying more. I find myself waking up at 3.30 in the morning and God just bringing thoughts to my mind that I need to pray for, people I need to pray for, situations I need to pray for. And I just spend that time in my bed laying there, can't sleep, so I pray. But a lot of people say, can you recommend to me a book, a good book on prayer? Well, there are a lot of good books on prayer, I would say, but I kind of halfway jokingly say to them, yeah, I've got a great book on prayer. It's called the Bible. Let me encourage you to get into the Bible. Look at the prayers that you find all throughout the Scriptures. Start in the Old Testament. You know, I love what D.A. Carson said about the prayers of the Bible. He said, you can, you can learn to argue in prayer with God from Moses. Where you go back and Moses has the circumstances he's not happy with. He has people grumbling against him and God wants to destroy the people. And, God, and Moses argues with prayer uh, in prayer with, with God a bit. You can go to David and learn to sing your prayers. We've, we've read two psalms this morning. A uh, call to worship psalm and then a hearing the word psalm. And, but all those, and then we sang a psalm. All of those psalms were written as kind of the hymn book of, of the Israelites that became the hymn book of the early church. And those prayers were sung unto the Lord and praying that God would do a great work. We enc we're encouraging our church family during the month of April to go through the book of Psalms. We've given them a guide to go through the book of Psalms and pray those Psalms every day. And so you can learn from the Bible how to pray by reading the Psalms. You can, you can go to the, uh, to the Gospels and see Jesus praying. You can go to his model prayer in, in the book of Matthew where he says, look, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And then he just moves through an exercise of praying. You can learn to pray from Jesus himself. And I would encourage you during these days, spend some time reading what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. It's for you and me. Go through, spend some time meditating on that. And when you come to a phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Talk about the, think about the holiness of God. Reflect His attributes back to Him. And then move through it praying for His will to be done. We'll talk about that from Colossians this morning. Pray about your daily needs. Nothing wrong with that. But the Bible teaches us to pray. And then in each of Paul's letters, and even in some of Peter's writings, you find prayers that are laid out there for the church that he's writing to. And those prayers are just as effective for us today as they were for Paul almost 2,000 years ago. We can learn to pray by reading the Bible. You know, in reality, and we're going to see this today, but in reality, in our prayers, much of the time is spent in, in what I would say, giving petitions to God, praying for good health, praying for recovery from illness, praying for safety as we travel, or, or praying for a good job, or praying that God will bring the right person in our life as a marriage partner. I mean, there are all sorts of things that we spend our time praying for that Paul, in his prayer here, says nothing about. Absolutely nothing about. Paul's focus in his prayer life is outward. It's toward the church. It's toward the needs of others. Now, I don't doubt that Paul did pray for his own needs. If you go to 2 Corinthians, you find Paul talking about that thorn in the flesh that he had. We don't know what that was. 
There's been a lot of speculation through the years, and you could almost write a book on the speculations of what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. But we do know this. It was something that caused him great consternation. It was something that caused him great grief in his life. And he prayed and he prayed and he asked God to take it away. Paul says he prayed it three times. And I think Paul just means there just a complete number of times. I prayed it over and over. And God never removed that illness or that problem or whatever it was in Paul's life. But God did show him that his grace is sufficient. Even in difficult times, even when you're hurting, even when you're grieving, God's grace is sufficient as you turn to Him. And that's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians. So we want to do that today. We want to, we want to think about how we ought to be praying during this uh, coronavirus uh, situation. We want to pray about what we ought to be thinking about as we, as we spend our time in prayer. So follow along as I read, if you would, starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. As Paul expresses his prayer for the, for the Colossian Christians. He starts out by saying, and so, I've heard about all this, I've heard about your faith, your hope, and your love for one another, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says several things about his personal prayer life here. He says, first of all, that he, he prays for Christians he's never met. Epaphras told him about them and about their faith. And so he's praying for complete strangers at one level, but he recognizes that those complete strangers... Humanly speaking, physically speaking, are brothers and sisters in his family, spiritually speaking. So he cares about them and he cares about their growth. Uh, when you pray for Grace Baptist Church, Grace Baptist family, you don't have to know everybody that's here to pray for this church family. But you can pray for their spiritual growth. You may sit on this side and others may sit on this side and you may not ever see each other unless you pass in the foyer on the way out. But you can pray for them, even by thinking about what they look like. You don't even know what their name is, perhaps. But praying for them. Paul did that continuously. He also said he prayed unceasingly, without ceasing. He says, I have, we have not ceased to pray for you. Later, when he writes the Thessalonians, he's going to say to them, here's the will of God for you, that you rejoice always and that you pray without ceasing. Now, I don't think Paul went around 24-7, never sleeping, never eating, never talking about anything else, with his head bowed and his eyes closed, just praying continuously. That's not what he's talking about. But he is talking about when God brings something to his mind, the church at Colossae or, or whatever, when, when God brings someone with a problem or someone with a need or someone that needs spiritual growth to his mind, he immediately carries that name and that person to the Lord. He prays for them. You ought to be doing that during this time. 
You ought to be praying without ceasing in that manner. As you see this sermon, you're thinking about our church family. You ought to be praying for our church family. As we gather on Wednesday nights to talk about the needs of the body, we, we want to do we want to talk about that and we want to be more than just all the sickness and all the heartache and all the grief we want to be praying for the positive things in one another's lives i've been reading a lot of articles over these last few days some good some bad but one of the most intriguing one that i read was entitled this when we gather again the church cannot be the same and and i tend to agree with that headline I think when we gather again, we've got, to, we've got to evaluate where we've been, what we've been doing. What have we done that's been superfluous? What have we done that's just been kind of routine and habit and, and tradition? And how can we get back to really looking at what God's Word says the church of Jesus Christ ought to be? And, and so I hope you're praying about that. Okay, Lord, how do you need to prepare my life for going back to Grace Baptist Church? How do you need to prepare my life for gathering again with the saints? What will be different in my life when we go back that I didn't experience two months ago? A lot of people said, man, I'll tell you one thing. I know I'm going to not take worship for granted anymore. I'm, I'm going to be praying that when I go, I go with a heart that's ready to be lifted to the Lord and lifting my voice in song and in prayers. I'm, I'm going to go looking for people that I can minister to and that I can love on, that I, I didn't do that in the past. We can't come back the same. I hope that this time of being shut away from one another increases our love for one another, but it also causes us to consider how can we be more like that New Testament church in the positive things? of the New Testament church. And then another thing Paul does here, as sort of an introduction, is he, he links his petitions to thanksgiving. He, he links those two together. He, he doesn't just go off on petitions and saying, do this, do this. But he says, with thanksgiving in my heart, I want to ask God to do this on your behalf. And so he unfolds that. And, and in verses 9 through 14, he kind of gives us a, a content, if you will, or a or an outline for how we can pray for one another and, and what we ought to pray for. So I want you to see that as just kind of move through this. He starts out in verse, really verse 9, the latter part of that, when he says, I'm asking, I'm asking God this, as I'm not ceasing to pray for you, I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. I'm asking you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now we talk a lot about the will of God. Uh, in our own Christian lives. And usually we tie it to some event or something we want to know wh whether to pursue or not. Or, or so. Paul is much more general here than that. He's not talking about, do I need to change jobs when the quarantine's over? Do I need to look for something new? Or, or, or where am I going to go to church if I don't have a church home and yet I've come to have a, a newer understanding of Christ even through being online during this time? Sure, you need to pray about those things. But Paul is talking about here's something that's so much deeper. I, I'm asking you, God, to fill these believers with a knowledge of your will. It's like what the psalmist said in Psalm 143.10 when he said, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. When the psalmist says, teach me to do your will, when Paul says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, 
He's really talking about you need to be pursuing, finding out what God's will in a very specific sense, in a very clear sense from His Word. What is it that God wants you to be? Because you see, being always comes before doing. We tend to wrap that backwards sometimes. We tend to talk about we're going to do something for God. We're going to do something for the church. We're going to do something for the cause of Christ. When in reality, what God wants us to focus on first is knowing His will in such a way that we become what He intends for us to become, a godly disciple of Jesus Christ, following Him in every avenue of life, family, friends, work, whatever it might be, church, whatever it might be. You see, that's the essence of having a knowledge of His will. You will never know what the knowledge of His will is if you're not in the Word. You can spend hours in, a, in sort of a pseudo prayer saying, Lord, show me what your will is, and just kind of sit around and wait on that. When in reality, God says, I've already revealed 99.9% of my will to you, and it's in my Word. Spend time in the Word. And the word Paul uses there for knowledge is not just a simple word, gnosis, it's, it's epigenosis. It's, it's, it's knowledge upon knowledge. It's a, it's a growing knowledge, an expanding knowledge, a deepening knowledge that comes about as we walk with Christ in the Word. So he says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. James says in his little epistle, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. And he'll grant it. He'll give it to you. Again, out of his word is where that wisdom comes. But you ask God, teach me as I'm in your word. Teach me as I'm reading the Psalms. Teach me as I'm reading the epistles. Make it more than just a historical document about the early church. Make it a reality in my life. That's spiritual wisdom. And the understanding is sort of the, the working out of that wisdom, the working out of the knowledge of His will in spiritual wisdom. As we understand it, it works itself out in our daily life and our daily walk. And, and so the apostle says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be filled with, his, filled with the knowledge of His will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. The second thing Paul says is that the purpose of his petition is that Christians might be utterly pleasing to the Lord, pleasing to Christ, pleasing to God the Father, pleasing to God the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, as we walk and we worship and we live in Him. That's what he says in verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing. What does it mean to please God? Now, you've got to be careful with that because this, Paul is not talking about some kind of works mentality that says, okay, I've trusted Christ. Now, boy, I've got to work hard to please Him. I've got to go to church. I've got to tithe. I've got I to uh, read my Bible every day. and I've got to All those are good things. But those are not done in order to somehow gain pleasure of God uh, where the, he's, so that He's pleased with you. He's pleased with you because we're covered in Christ. We are in Christ. He loves us. But as we grow in that understanding of His will, as we grow in our walk with Him, Paul is saying that will be very pleasing. I'm praying that you will walk, he says, in a manner worthy of the Lord. To be worthy of the Lord is to recognize who He is in our life. To recognize that 
as we talk about a lot here, we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And, and while we still struggle with sin, and Paul's not talking about becoming sinless here, while we still struggle with sin, we struggle with it in a new way. We struggle with it with the indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit working in our life. And so we walk in a manner seeking to know what is a diff- what's different in our life, what difference is made in our life because of the presence of Christ. Walk in a manner worthy. And we only walk in a manner worthy of the Lord when we're walking in Him. Walking in the Lord. We only please Him when we are in Him. But then Paul sketches out four things that he's prayed for this church. And really, they're, they're sort of characteristics of what a life that's pleasing to God would look like. But he's praying that this will be a reality in their life. He's praying, this is what I want God to do in you. And, and Grace Baptist family, this is what I pray that God will do in you and what he'll do in my life in these days of quarantine. He says four things. He says, first of all, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. There have been a lot of good works going on. We, we get thrilled every day when we, see, when we see and hear about people doing things for others in the body. Whether there's planning a drive-by birthday celebration parade to say, happy birthday to people that we've seen happen in the weeks past, or that's taking somebody a meal because they, they're in a, a stressful time and they just need help there, or whether it's just writing a card and saying, we love you. Some of our senior adults have been getting cards from some of our children. They don't even sign their name. They just, the children just sign on there from a Grace family member and send it to our senior adults. It brightens their day. One of our children, uh, uh, elementary school children, sent me a little book she made this week, uh, three pages tied together and mailed it to me, and, and it brightened my day. It, it, was, it was a good work. But what he's saying here is these works are the issue out of fruit that's being born in our life. Paul is praying that spiritual fruit will be a reality in your life. You find spiritual fruit over in the book of Galatians where the apostle Paul said, for, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, not holding a grudge, not holding something against another one. And he goes on through those fruit of the Spirit. That's what, that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. I'm praying that the, the fruit of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ will issue forth from your life, and that will carry you forth to do good works. You see, we can do good works out of a bad attitude. We, we can go to church out of a bad attitude. We can say, well, I really need to go to church. I'm supposed to go, so I go. That's not bearing fruit in that good work. We can say, you know, I don't really care for that person. I've got something against them. I'm mad at them or they're mad at me. And, but I'm just going to take them something just to, show how, just to show how good a person I am. That's not bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work is, is bearing the character of Christ and showing people the love of Christ and showing people the, the work of Christ in your life and through your life in what you do. Bear fruit in every good work. Second thing he prays for is, again, he comes back to that idea of knowledge. I, I pray that you will grow, increase in the knowledge of God. Now, earlier you said, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. 
And here he says a part of being filled with knowledge of God's will is that you will be growing in your knowledge of God. I don't know how many people I've told over the last six weeks, why don't you order or pick up or come by the church and pick up a copy of Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Just lays out who God is. Lays out his attributes, his work, his glory in the cross and everything else. Why don't you read that book? alongside your Bible. Because during this time when you can't work, you can't gather for social events, you can't go to football or baseball or soccer games or any other kind of sport activity, you got all this time on your hand. Don't binge on Netflix for crying out loud. Or Amazon Prime or, or whatever your streaming service of choice is. I mean, there's no, there's no growing in the knowledge of God there. As a matter of fact, it could be detrimental to your growing in the knowledge of Christ. Growing in the knowledge of God. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in some good, classic Christian literature like knowing God. And seek to know Him better. That's what I'm praying for me, during, my own self during this time. That's what I'm praying for you as our church family during this time. That our knowledge of God, our relationship with God, our personal knowledge of walking with Him will grow exponentially during this time. Wouldn't it be something? You're here during this time when we can't gather, can't be together, that we would come back in however many weeks it is before we're allowed to do that, that we could come back together and we would look at one another and, and realize that every one of us came back more Christ-like, that I came back more Christ-like than I did six or seven weeks ago when all this started. Paul says, I'm praying that you will grow in the knowledge of God, increase in the knowledge of God. And, and in doing that, I pray that you'll be strengthened. The more you know God, the more you'll be strengthened with all power, because that power comes from knowing Him. It's His power indwelling in us. We talked about that Easter and the Sunday after Easter, the, the power of the resurrection within our life. As we know Him, He, he prays then that they will be strengthened in order to display to the world around them endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version here, ESV, and it puts joy there with endurance and patience. I, there's, a, there's a translating and an interpretive difference here, uh, and I'll, I, I like it either way. And it means a lot the same either way. But here they tie joy with endurance and patience. You need to be showing joy as you are enduring the situations we're in right now and patience that God is working things out for His will during this time. I can promise you that He is. I'm promising you that God is wanting and desiring to use this in your life individually, in the life of our church, in the life of our state, in the life of our nation, indeed all across the globe. He's using this pandemic to refocus our attention and help us endure it with patience. Uh, you know, the old thing I used to say a lot is when somebody tell, tell me to pray for patience for them, I'd tell them, I, I don't want to do that. Because in order to get patience, you've got to have something to be patient about. And you just need to go about asking Christ to give you patience not teach you patience in the midst of a difficult time, but display it to the world. What do your neighbors see right now in your life as you're having to be 
sheltered at home? What, what are your neighbors seeing in your life? Or are they even seeing you? Are you out in the yard at all to even see them? I encourage you to be. And then finally, he says, not only increase the knowledge of God, not only strengthen for patience and endurance, but he says, giving thanks to the Father. Now, here's the interpretive difference. The New American Standard Bible, translation of the Bible says there, it puts a comma after patience and moves joy to giving thanks. Giving thanks joyfully. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. What are you going to give thanks to the Father for? Uh, well, Paul says in several of his letters, you know, rejoice always. Be thankful always. Taking your prayers, petitions to God, but do it with a thankful heart. You know, thank, or are you going to say, Lord, I thank you for the coronavirus pandemic? I doubt you'll say that. But you can say, Lord, I thank you that you're using this very difficult situation in the lives of many people to draw them closer to you, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. But just in case you're not sure what to joyfully give thanks to the Father for, Paul tells us. He says, give me, joyfully give me thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What he's saying there is recognize that you can be thankful that God has called you to himself and given you light in Christ, life in Christ, in light. You can be thankful that he has qualified you. He has clothed you with his righteousness. He has taken away your sin and given you a qualification, righteousness, to be able to stand in the presence of God. That's something to be thankful for if you're a believer this morning. And if you're not a believer and you're watching this, that's something to pray for, that God will qualify you, change your life by His Holy Spirit, and give you His truth and give you His faith. He's qualified you. He's qualified you. He also has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Wow. He, he's taken us out of the realm of Satan, his rule, darkness, and he has transferred us, he has made us alive in Christ and transferred us into the kingdom of his glorious son, into God's own kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, you're a part of God's family, you're a part of God's kingdom. And one day you'll rule with him, you'll reign with him, the scripture says. There's something to joyously give thanks to him for. Lord, I once was walking in darkness. I once was walking in sin. And you, by your glorious grace, have transferred me into the kingdom of your beautiful, glorious, precious, beloved son. What a, what a thing to be thankful for. Can you say right now where you are? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that by your power and by your grace, I have been given life in Christ. and been made a part of your kingdom, adopted into your family. Then he says not only that, but in his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Redemption. I love that old hymn, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He has done a work of redeeming us out of that kingdom of darkness, buying us out of it, 
by his own blood, by his work on the cross. And through that redemption, through his beloved son, we have the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness and the cleansing of all unrighteousness. Made righteous in his presence when we didn't have any righteousness of our own. I mean, Paul is praying all this and he's saying, this is all based on what I'm about to tell you about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. And we'll look at that clearly next week as we talk about his preeminence. We talk about his supremacy. But the thing that I want you to see this morning, and in just a minute we're going to sing another hymn. We're going to sing the power of the cross. And we're going to sing that unto the Lord. We're going to sing that recognizing his work in our lives through the cross. And as we do that, I want you to think about what the power of the cross is. Think about what God has done in your life if you're a believer. And think about the offer of salvation that God brings to you by his Holy Spirit this morning if you're not in Christ. I invite you to him. I invite you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I invite you to come to faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not faith in a church, not faith in a live stream, faith in Christ alone, not faith in your own good works, but works will issue out of that faith as you come to trust him. Would you pray with me? Father, we worship you. Father, we We rejoice in you. Father, I pray these things for our church family this morning and for everyone else who's watching. I pray, Lord, you do a work of grace through your Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Fathers, we sing this hymn, The Power of the Cross. Wow. The power of the cross to transfer us out of darkness into light. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. The power of the cross to bring about our redemption. The power of the cross to bring about forgiveness of sins. The power of the cross to make us one in Christ. A body of believers worldwide that serve as the body of Christ on this earth. Father, we wait on you. Show us, O Lord, the power of the cross as we sing together.